It's the River Tree Canal Fulton Podcast. Welcome to our second week in a series called For Goodness Sake, where we're looking at what it means for the church to be blessed so that we can be a blessing in our world. And today, Christy Timmons is preaching to us about what it means for us to use our words to bless the world. So uh, tune into that in just a moment. But hey, before we get there, we've got a lot of great things happening, including on September 11th, right after church, we've got a lunch that we call the What For, which is a class where you can learn about the vision, mission, uh, and practices of our church and what it means to be a part of it. If you would like to come to the What For, head over to our website and sign up. We, we will be feeding you lunch and we'll tell you everything you want to know about who we are and where we're headed. So with that, enjoy Christy Timmons on For, Good, for Goodness Sake, Week 2. Our scripture focus today is from James 3, 2 through 12. Indeed, we all make mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and control ourselves in every way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. By a tiny spark, we can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire itself by hell. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh and water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Let's pray. Lord, we welcome you here today, being very aware of your presence. Let your word be received and pour deep inside of us, allowing us to go from this place to join you in what you're doing all around us. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. You can all be seated. Before uh, we go any further, I'd love to um, dismiss our students, fifth through eighth graders. You can go meet Mr. Adam in the back, and he will lead you to your classroom for your own lesson on blessing today. So uh, last week we started this new series called For Goodness Sake, and we are focusing on blessing others for the next few weeks. And Drew kicked us off last week by teaching us that we are blessed, that the Lord's blessing is on us. And although we read that in the Bible, I think we don't always give that the weight that we should. It's a huge thing. It's so much more than we often believe it is. And the implication of being blessed 
so fully in that way is the fact that we are to go out and bless others fully as well. So blessing is one of the four spiritual practices that we do together here at River Tree Canal Fulton. Uh, we look like Jesus when we bless others, whether it be through our generosity, through our love, our service, or our words. We can show people who Jesus is and bless them the way that he would. Today we're specifically going to focus on speaking blessing through encouragement. Throughout the Bible, uh, we see scripture that talks quite often about how our tongues are powerful. But today we're focusing on James chapter 3. So the book of James is pretty incredible. Um, it is full of truth and wisdom. It's a great instructional manual for those of us who want to follow Jesus. I read a description once that described James in this way, it said, um, it's a beautifully crafted punch in the gut for those who want to follow Jesus. James um, gets all up in our business and challenges how we live throughout his whole book. In chapter three, um, he challenges us through a powerful tongue that we all have. So I spent some time researching our powerful tongue and what makes it so strong and unique so I'm going to share some facts about our tongues with you now. The first one is that our tongues are made up of eight muscles. And although these are not the strongest muscles in our bodies, they are the most flexible, which allows us to use our tongues all day without them getting tired. On average, our tongues are three inches long. So of course, when I read that stat, I had to go out and research who had the Guinness World Record for the longest tongue. And that is currently held by Nick Stoberl. He is from California, and his tongue is about 10.1 centimeters long, which is much longer than the three-inch average. But in my research, I actually found that there is a man in India, he's 20 years old, his name is K. Praveen, and he is contesting that title because his tongue measures 10.8 centimeters long. Next fact, the bumps on our tongue are not taste buds. <laughs> nice trick. <laughs> he had to get that in there. <laughs> so the, the bumps on our tongue are actually not taste buds, which this was crazy to me because I'd always understood them to be our taste buds. But our taste buds are actually housed in those bumps and are way, way smaller. You can't actually see them with the naked eye. Also, we have from 2,000 to 10,000 taste buds. We're all different in this way. If you, are, um, if you have 10,000 taste buds, you're known as a super taster, and you may be able to join Adam Towhill at his job at Fannie Mae Chocolates as a chocolate taste tester, which sounds like the most perfect job in the world to me. So the last fact, um, who here can roll your tongue? Can you, like, yeah, you can't see me, do I think we have a picture, but... Anyone uh, who is able to do that, I, I know um, many of us were probably challenged to do that on a playground at some time, and if you couldn't do it, you just explained, well, um, it's a genetic thing, and I don't have that genetic uh, buildup in my tongue, but guess what? Being able to roll your tongue is not a genetic 
thing. I feel a little bit betrayed by this because I've always believed and learned that I could roll my tongue and believed that that was something special that my grandmas and grandpas handed down to me. It made my sisters and brothers and I unique in every way, but no, it is not genetic. If you are a patient person, you can actually learn how to roll your tongue. So there are many more facts about the tongue that I will not be sharing this morning. I think we already know more than we needed to. I know I do after having been through some very weird and somewhat gross research this week. But there is much more to the tongue than these fascinating facts, like the truth that we can accomplish tremendous good with our tongues, or we can accomplish tremendous evil with them as well, and that is where our focus will be today. So we're beginning in verse 2 of James 3 with the statement, made by him that I think we can all identify with. He says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could control ourselves in every other way. Like I said earlier, James is pretty bold. He gets all up in our business with truth. So let's test that statement. How many here have never ever said something that you regret? Raise your hand high if it's you. No one's never said something that you didn't want to take back. I think we just proved James's statement to be correct. I don't believe that there is a person in this world who has never said something that they didn't wish they could take back. I know I have. James goes so far as to say that if you can completely control the words that come out of your mouth, then you are quite likely able to control the rest of your body as well. And here's the interesting fact about that statement. It's impossible to control our bodies that well. Every single one of us will have bodies that will decline one day. We won't be able to do the same physical activities that we've always done, we'll lose that control. However, we will always be able to use our words to either encourage or discourage, no matter how old we are. Studies show that we spend about 70 to 80% of our day communicating, and about two-thirds of that time is spent speaking. Now, some of us speak much more than others, but most of us do spend a considerable amount of the day communicating. And as I think about those stats, I think of the other forms we use to communicate and how they are just as important as speaking. Because texting and emailing and uh, going on Facebook and social media also can be used to hurt or bless. We can hurt or bless through an app on our phones. Texting, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, and many others can sometimes be used purposely to hurt someone because it's way easier to say something on social media without thinking or without even much caution because it's not face to face. Makes me think of the quote from Jurassic Park where Jeff Goldblum says, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. If you've seen Jurassic Park movies, you know how devastating 
bringing dinosaurs into our world could be. And when we use our words to inflict harm, it's just as devastating. In verses 3 and 4, James points out how much more powerful the tongue is in comparison to the rest of the body. He says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. These massive ships can be controlled by one man at the helm controlling a rudder that is one one-thousandth the size of the ship. Similarly, uh, you don't have to be a big, muscular person to be able to use your words to directly affect someone else's life. Your words can either affect others' lives in a positive way or in a destructive way. Our words can bless others. They can direct God's goodness towards them. They can give life or they can deliver pain. I think of a story I heard once from a man. He had talked to two different people in a nursing home. One woman spoke of a letter she had received from a student. He had become a doctor, and uh, he, he was in her class 30 years prior. But he wanted to reach out and tell her how much she had influenced him and how much he appreciated everything she had done while he was her student. She had taught for 50 years and had never received an encouraging letter before that. This one came on a day that seemed like her loneliest. She actually said that she felt as if she were the last leaf on the tree. And this letter lifted her spirits so much than anything she had ever experienced before. It actually brought her life. The man he spoke with had a very different story. The man had received a discouraging and hurtful word that changed his life in a very different way. The statement was so awful, it actually wasn't included in the article that I was reading, but the author asked him how long it had been since he had received this discouraging word, and the man said it had been 18 years, and that at the age of 88, it was as if it had just happened yesterday. It still hurt and he admitted the statement had broken him. The tongue is relatively small compared to the rest of the muscles in our body, and yet its potential to change the lives of others is overwhelming. Next, James compares the powerful influence of a tongue to the powerful destructiveness of a spark, which turns into a huge forest fire. He says, In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. We have seen pictures of the many times a destructive force of a fire can sweep across any area of our country. In fact, when I lived in Phoenix, we would often have cloudy skies because of forest fires happening all the way in California. Such an impact on such a huge scale.
scale. And yet often these fires are started with just a single tiny spark. On October 8th, 1871, at about 8 p.m., Mrs. O'Leary was milking her cow when the cow kicked over a lantern that started a fire that wiped out half of the city of Chicago, all because of a tiny spark from a lantern. James says our words can have that same effect. Our words are said, and then they can go out, and we cannot take them back. We cannot stop the impact or the spread of our words once they're spoken. Satan often uses our words to destroy others' lives and drive them away from God. The word James uses for hell in that verse that we just read where it says it can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. That word for hell there is a Greek word and it's Gehenna, which was an actual place. It was a stench-filled garbage dump just outside of the city of Jerusalem and this place had become a symbol for evil and was a stronghold for Satan. They would take the city's garbage there and burn it. And it was so unpleasant to be around. It smelled worse than rottenness. And he used this place to describe the words that can so easily come flowing out of our mouths. Using that place, that place that was thought of as actual hell in this verse, makes the point clear that Satan is the source of evil in which our harmful words come from. The other side of that, though, is the fact that our words can ignite a very different kind of fire. When we bless others with our words, we direct God's goodness towards them. We stand in a gap. We get to show them who God is and who they are, which is especially important if they're not seeing themselves in true light. We also get to show them who God is by blessing them the way that he would. We have the opportunity to show them how God made them, the truth that can change their life and set them on a different path. And that kind of fire can burn out the lies of Satan. In verses 7 and 8, James points out that we've been able to tame all sorts of animals over the years. It says people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. What James is trying to say here is that it's really hard to tame our tongues. It's a very difficult thing. His argument here is what I would call a man-on-the-moon argument. You know, like when we say, we can put a man on the moon, but we can't cure the common cold. James points to the examples of amazing human accomplishment, specifically to when it comes to the control of a wild, dangerous animal. At the time this was written, humans were able to tame several different kinds of animals, very dangerous ones, anything from a vicious, poisonous snake to a lion. So he's saying we can tame these awesome creatures, but we can't tame the tongue. Why? The answer to that question is the same reason we can't cure the common cold. What we're really trying to do here is train. We're able to train animals so that they become tame. 
It takes patience and practice. It takes all of our lives to practice by blessing other people with our speech. We get better, better at it and more like Jesus as we train. We're not going to learn how to bless people by not blessing people. We absolutely have to humble ourselves and practice in order to join God in what he's doing in other people. So why is it that we have all this practice, but it's still impossible to, tr- to train our tongues or to tame our tongues? Well, the first and most obvious answer is that we are broken, sinful human beings. But I think more specifically, the reason has very little to do with our tongues or what we are saying. It actually has to do with the root of the problem which James uh, addresses next. In James 3, 9 through 12, he says, Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So James's point is that what a tree or a vine or a spring produces is always consistent with its nature. An apple tree isn't going to produce pears, and a grapevine isn't going to produce figs. Similarly, a person produces words that flow out of who they are inside. If in your heart you are strongly desiring to bless other people, to show them who they are, to give away God to them, then those words of encouragement are going to come easily out of your mouth. But again... We are human. We have bad days. We encounter people who are unkind, and we're not always able to sum up enough grace or enough forgiveness to meet everyone with blessing and encouragement. In those moments, our desires are what determines comes out of our mouth. We could blame it on the fact that we have desires, but having desires isn't the problem. God wants us to have desires. He's made us passionate people. He just wants our desires to match his desires. He wants our hearts to match his heart. When we are transformed by Christ, when we spend time in his presence and learn him, we become more like him. He wants our transformation to result in a heart like his. So when we bless people, we bless with his heart. So our desire is to intercede with goodness and mercy and his grace, which brings life. Jesus pointed out this principle many years before James, and he said this in Luke 6:45. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So I'm guessing that for many of you, encouragement comes pretty naturally, that it flows freely out of you. But others may find it more difficult. 
And that's okay because we were made to be different. We all have different personalities. For some who are naturally nurturing, uh, we are able to bless people and encourage people easily. But even when it seems natural, there are times that is incredibly hard to be encouraging. For me, I find encouragement especially difficult when the blessings that I am giving freely and abundantly, sharing those with other people, they are not returned back to me as abundantly. Our staff team has been learning more about how God made us. Each of us falls into one of five voices, which is really five different personality types. And part of our study has included the fact that each of us has strengths, of course, that are benefits to the team. When we all use our strengths, the team is the best version it can be. But also, we've learned that each of us have weapons that we use in times of stress or hurt or exhaustion. And what's interesting about these weapons is that each weapon's attack is delivered through words. And those words are especially devastating. No matter the personality type, we all have these weapons and each of us has things about our personalities that also bring incredible gifts to the table. And just like that, the way that we add to the goodness of a family or a team, the way that it makes us awesome to be around or the way that we uh, are so good at those gifts, we are also very, very good at our weapons and we can effectively use them to destroy other people, especially those who are our enemies. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. So how can we put away our weapons, especially when we're under attack, and focus more intently on blessing others with the abundance in which we have been blessed. Well, that in itself is the answer. Because we are blessed, because we have God's name on us, because his face shines down upon us, like Drew spoke about last week, we are able to give life with our words, even in times of great stress, difficult situations, and when we are hurting because of what others are doing to us. We just have to practice. We have to train, especially in difficult situations when we want to get out our weapons. It's easy to reach for those weapons that come naturally to us. But think, though. Others are expecting our weapons because they would use theirs in those same situations. It's then that our words have a much bigger impact. It's then that our words can change relationships or completely change circumstances, build people up, bring about change and give life. It's then that we direct the goodness of God on someone and intercede on their behalf and change their life through blessing. There's another area I want to sneak in here and mention quickly where encouragement and blessing can be difficult, and it's when a blessing can feel like a lie. My son, Ben, he's five, and he is very creative. 
He loves to dance and sing and make art out of random things he finds around the house. And if you have been around kids, you know what I'm talking about. Kids come up to you with the craziest pictures and the craziest creations, and they're so proud of this sculpture of a horse that they just made, and you're looking at it, and you're like, I, I don't know that this is a horse. <laughs> or they think they look like Justin Timberlake or Fred Astaire when they're dancing, but really their moves look more like they might hurt themselves. Speaking blessing over them in these situations feels like a lie. When your child is dancing in a way that you hope they never do outside of your living room, speaking blessing over them feels like something you should not be doing. But here's the thing. Praise isn't blessing. Blessing speaks to who the person is and names something deeply true about them, not just their behavior. We say often around here that we need to call others up and not call others out. Calling someone up is helping them see who God made them to be, helping them see truth of who they are, when calling someone out is more like a high five. Praises aren't a bad thing, but they aren't blessings either. So in Ben's case, he is a good dancer and a good singer and a good artist. I hope he never gives those things up, but even more so, I want him to hear how God created him. I want him to know that he's incredibly creative and bold and confident. So when I bless him, I specifically tell him what I see that God did in him. Scripture says that we've been given the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ. We've been transformed. If we're using our transformed mind and heart, then our words ought to reflect him instead of us. I think that's how we live out what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians. That's how we can bless when others are cursing us and we can answer kindly when we're being persecuted and we can find the right words to name what we see in other people. So we're going to go into a time of reflection in just a moment. And I definitely am going to challenge you to bless other people this week. I know some of you were worried that that may be coming, and it most definitely is. But I hope you put some intentionality into that. But if you happen to be worried, if you're wondering how to do it or where to do it or who to do it with, if you're anxious about going out and being so vulnerable and humble to bless other people in this way, then I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to not go out immediately and start blessing people from your human heart. Rather, I want to encourage you to spend time with Jesus. I want you to go and sit with him and be in his presence. Take time with him. Think about who he is. Allow yourself to be in awe of everything that he is. Think about his immeasurable love that love that we can't even get close to really feeling or understanding. Think about 
all the grace that he has poured out on you, all the forgiveness that he has given you. Spend time in his presence learning and knowing and believing everything that he thinks about you. I'm reminded of 1 John where he says, we love each other because he first loved us. If we can get to a place where we truly understand that, I don't think there's any way we couldn't go out and bless other people freely and abundantly with everything that we've been blessed with. Last week, Drew told us how God blesses us by shining his face on us, that simply him looking at us makes him smile, that he turns his face towards us, giving his full attention to us, that he gives us grace, and gives us peace. That is how we need to go out and bless others. In a moment, we're going to come to the table together, but first, we're going to take some time to pray. I want you to think about people that you will see this week and pray for them. When we pray for others, we are given incredible insight about where they are in life, about what their struggles are, about what they're dealing with, where they are physically, mentally, and spiritually, and how we can love them. Praying gives us insight on exactly how to bless others. So I, wanna, I want you to think about those upcoming conversations, and I want you to ask God what you can say. Instead of listening to what he's saying to you, ask him what he needs you to say to others.